Many of you, like myself, have struggled at times with our identity. It's a human issue. Who are we? What am I? Identity. I believe the testimonies that we're hearing today remind us and connect us to our identity, who we are. No longer slaves, but children of God. Witnesses for God. That's an overcomer. And it's so important as the word teaches us. I love the passage in Revelations chapter 12. It talks about, and they overcame or they conquered by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They overcame. Now, I've been around just a little bit. Why is that funny? (laughs) But what I've learned in the few years that I've been around, I've only been around a few years, uh, is that we have an enemy because in that passage, before that, it talks about our enemy, the accuser of the brethren. And he loves to bully God's children. I mean, he takes great delight in stealing, killing, and destroying, right? And at times, shaking us up when it comes to our identity. I mean, if he can get us off on that one, he's what we would, we're what, we, what many would call being self-checked. Self-checked. You ever heard of that term? Maybe not. I grew up in the projects. That's where I got the term from. <laughs> in the projects, it was this thing. We loved to play basketball. That was the deal, playing basketball. And uh, it's where boys became men. Well, there was this term being self-checked that we live by where, you know, you're playing five on five, where sometimes when you're five, you got that one. Who, when it came to getting the basketball gene, he just didn't get that gene. <laughs> and so when we would see this guy, we realized, oh, wow. <laughs> we, don't have to, we don't have to check him. <laughs> He's self-checked. <laughs> I believe as believers, we suffer oftentimes from that same dilemma. Because of not knowing who we are in Christ, not embracing our identity, and even embracing the community, we find ourselves our own worst enemy. But I'm so thankful that this morning we're being reminded through the words of our sisters and brothers that we are overcomers. Now, granted, the testimonies of being overcomers doesn't mean that you've you're done. Did you hear me? I'm, I am pretty confident that those that you've heard and will hear will testify that, yes, I've overcome, but I'm not done. No, 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 we're not done. But thankfully, on this side of glory, we'll continue to wrestle and battle and experience victories to remind us of celebrating our risen king. Because many would say, well, I don't have a testimony because you know, I'm still struggling. But I found that's usually because you're, you got this slip thing about your identity. 
you see yourself as an addict. You see yourself as a liar. You see yourself as an angry person. And forgetting that you've been redeemed. That because of this work of Jesus and his blood has covered you, you are an overcomer. Walking in that truth, walking in that grace, you don't do it alone. Praise God for the community and the family of God to remind us of our identity and that we're not done yet. So coming up now, we've got testimonies of some, some overcomers. I can do this. I can do this. All right. So um, this testimony is one that could take hours, um, but I will do my best to share a high-level snapshot in about five minutes um, about the moment that changed my life forever and cemented my faith in God and the awesome power of prayer. Uh, Nearly five years ago, my mom was in the darkest depth of alcoholism and facing death. And at that point in our relationship, it was so strained, I almost didn't care. My heart was hardening towards her, and I couldn't face any more broken promises or the pain of her issues. But when I received an incoherent call from my mom at the hospital, and the nurse took the phone and said, it's bad, if you're able, you should come as quickly as you can. In that moment, everything changed, and I knew I had to go. And as I flew down I-5 with tears in my eyes, kind of like now, (laughs) to Madeira, um, I thought about all the years of pain and suffering that led to that moment. The verbal, emotional, and sometimes physical abuse endured, all while I was a model student, a perfect child, caring and dependable friend, um, (laughs) loving sibling, um, great colleague, hard worker, was ridiculously involved in church and my community. I did everything with a smile and humor all while I was secretly and slowly dying inside and sometimes wishing for my own death. Sorry, I lost my place. Because then at least um, with my death, I could be with God and not have to be strong anymore. But while thinking about these things, I, I was faced with a devastating reality. The fact that if my mom did die, um, I wouldn't just lose her in this life. I'd lose her eternally too. You see, my mom had grown to hate God with such a passion, it scared me sometimes. But the heartache of a reality in which I would never see her again in this life or the next scared me even more and provoked me to cry out to God to please spare her life. I could not lose her in, in nearly the same way she lost her own mother, and I could not believe that God would let her story end in such a tragic um, repeat of history. So when I finally got to the hospital, they told me that she was dying and instead uh, and insisted I put her um, in hospice care. Um, she had had a heart attack, her liver was failing, all her organs were being poisoned by bile leaking into her system, and she was showing signs of dementia because of it. The whites of her eyes had turned an unnatural yellow, making her naturally olive green eyes stand out that that much more. Um, It was a freakish sight to behold because she actually looked possessed. She looked demonic. However, a handful of days into her hospital stay, when she was still in and out of consciousness, I had a meeting with the doctors and the hospice social worker. While they were highly encouraging me slash pushing me (laughs) to consider this hospice care, I bent over my mom while she was in bed, and I whispered to her, do you want to live or do you want to die? And she slurred out, 
I want to live. And it was that moment that I knew um, that she would. By God's grace and compassion, I knew this was her turning point. And those four words were my answer to 16 years of constant prayer. I rejected hospice care as an option for her and fought to have her go into a rehabilitation facility instead. So fast forward to today. I get to stand here before you and not just tell you, but testify to you that my sweet mama is about five years completely sober. Yeah. <laughs> she is healthy as can be with no signs of any of the issues they said she had or would have the rest of her life as a result of her drinking. She is going to high school to complete her credits to get her high school diploma. And she has turned her life to God. <clears throat> to see my mom come from death to life has been one of the most profound experiences of my life. And a constant reminder, reminder of God's perfect love. Uh, in Luke 15, 4 through 7, Jesus said, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and uses, loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is my mom's redemption song. She was the one he wouldn't leave behind. Now, Amanda, um, thank you. Okay, so when we talk about this testimony, you were apprehensive because this wasn't like your story. It was someone else's story, your mom's story. But tell them what you told me. So I, so I texted my mom and I was like, hey, I was given an opportunity to share our story um, and I just, I want to see how you feel about that and no pressure, if, if, if you don't want me to share, that's totally fine. And her response was, oh, please do share with them and if you have time, tell them the whole story. <laughs> so I was like, awesome, I have three to five minutes, we don't have that much time, but uh, yeah, so she was, um, she was excited and she just wanted to know, she's like, she told me, she's like, I hope, this was all via text, but she said, I hope this blesses them and that um, it's encouraging for people. So. Amen. That's important because many of you are laboring in prayer for someone, for a family member, for a spouse, for a wayward child. And you're carrying that burden like shame and a heavy, wet blanket. And you're wondering even if your prayers are reaching God. And you thought some, some hard stuff. You want to give up. But I hope you have heard from our sister. Don't give up. Don't give up. Believe, like my brother Dave said, believe in God's power. Good morning, everyone. I am Martin Kang, and I am 
on one hand, a proud Christian, but on the other hand, I do feel there's like this nagging sense of shame that I experience as a Christian. I'll get back to that at the end. Um, as we've gone through this series on shame at Solano, uh, as a Korean American, I thought I knew a lot about shame already, right? <laughs> but I realized there's a difference between cultural shame and spiritual shame. And as I looked into spiritual shame, I recognized how deeply it affected me and damaged me and hurt me. And I realized that shame is really a spiritual problem, right? It's a sin problem. It's not just a, this Eastern different random idea, but it's something that goes deep, like deeply into our hearts and into my heart. Um, and to be freed from shame, it wasn't just changing my mentality about something. It, it had to be something radical. It had to be something consequential that changed me, and that had to happen. Um, so I'm going to introduce myself again, and, but this is from a perspective of an Asian-American Christian and my relationship with shame. Um, I attended Cal. Who, who goes to Cal? But I never graduated, okay? <laughs> Uh, I've struggled with it for the past 20 years of my life, right? I have this one thesis class left that I've taken repeatedly. I've never finished it. I've spent thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars on this. I've gone into debt, mismatched my finances. I've realized I've been living in poverty pretty much because of this. Um, there's definitely shame that comes with that. Um, it hampers me from like dating or finding a spouse, right? Um, I'm a 40-year-old single virgin, right? And that might be cool in church, but outside of the church, <laughs> this makes no sense, right? I'm an anomaly. This is totally shameful, right? Um, but at the same time, I've wrestled with pornography, right? It's not like it's perfectly clear. There's like all this other crap inside of me. Um, and it, then it goes into asking the question, what does it mean to be like a man or be masculine in America? Is it um, being wealthy, having strength, confidence, leadership is about your earning potential. Is it the security that you offer? And as I was looking at these things, I realized I don't measure up to any of this, right? Am I a man? And who am I in this country, right? Um, and it also went into my calling. When I first went to Cal, I wanted to study business. And if that didn't like work out or if I was disinterested in it, I wanted to go into ministry. But then, as I look into my hopes and my dreams, I realize those things didn't happen. I work at the Solano office as an office manager now, but I was just an admin assistant. It's, it sounds like cool within church again, but then to have worked 20 years and this is all you get is, can be a little discouraging, right? It's not what I was hoping for in my life. Um, but through this again, um, I, there's a shame that I wasn't able to accomplish my worldly pursuits and also because I wanted to go into ministry or possibly be a pastor, am I not falling where God is calling me to go? Have I fallen short in that area as well? Um, I'm ashamed before my peers that I've told that these are the things I want to pursue. And when I see where I am now, it's not very far, right? And before people who are younger than me, that when I taught youth group, when people look up to me, what are you doing? What do you want to do? I'm going to ministry. But then I'm disappointing them too because it just didn't happen. Um, even for people who are older and everyone. And especially being an Asian, I think I feel like I'm a huge disappointment to my parents. Um, I don't have any grandkids, or if that, that can give to them, right? 
I don't, um, I don't, I'm not able to support them financially. They're both retired at this point. Um, I don't live near them right now, and that's sort of like an issue, I feel, that nags on my heart. And as immigrants, they sacrifice so much for me, right, for our family to get somewhere. But when I look at where I am now, I'm just like, what came of that, right? Um, and through this, there's just shame, right? Even as an Asian American, in America, this ethnic shame too. I'm not proud necessarily of being a Korean in America. I communicate to non-Asians. I have to think about how they perceive me. Like, I've thought about like dating like a non-Asian before, but then I start imagining like what my, what, what holidays would be like, and it just seems crazy. <laughs> like, I can't, they're all speaking Korean, and there's one person who doesn't understand what's going on, and it would just mess everything up. Um, I thought of like having to play all these different roles when I just want to be myself, right? And I think that's, in essence, one big chunk of what my shame experience has been like. And as I look through all of this, it reminds me of um, John chapter 11. This is when Lazarus dies and Martha is talking to Jesus. And she says to him, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. For, like, and that's sort of what I hear, right? If God, if you were with me at these pain points in my life, and resolved, if you were there, this would have never happened. I will be good where I am right now, but you weren't there for me. Right? And also, um, again, Martha says to Jesus, I know that Lazarus will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And as being like a Christian, I think, okay, life in this light world might be difficult. I just have to wallow through the suffering long enough before I die, and then I go to heaven, right? And everything's going to be okay. But Jesus' response to Martha is something special, right? He says, I am the re resurrection and the life. I'm here to deal with your shame right where you are. It's not just the past sins. It's not just eventually things will work out. It's right now that I give you newness of life. It's right now that I cleanse your sin and shame with my blood. It's right now that I close you with my cloak of honor and goodness. You have no need to be ashamed because I love you right now, right? Which is great, but I'm an Asian, so that's, it, it's also the worst, right? It's also the worst because being face to face with Jesus like that, it makes me want to hide, right? I don't deserve it. There's this thing where um, they say that when Asians convert to Christianity, they're like, like non-Asians or white people, they'll be happy, they'll rejoice, right, when they become saved, which sounds obvious. But Asians will cry, will weep, we're, we're in sorrow, right? And it's because we feel like we don't deserve what God has given us, right? We've done something so bad, God had to suffer. Um, and that's the deepest shame that I feel as a Christian, right? That God has done all this for me, and what do I do with it? How far have I gotten in my life? How much do I love my neighbors? How much do I sacrifice for those in need? Um, and through this, like, it just exposes the depth and width of my sin and my shame before God. Um, and there's this refrain in my head that resounds repeatedly. Um, you're, I'm not good enough, right? I'm not good enough. I don't belong here with Jesus. I don't, I'm not worthy to be with him. And through this, it reminds me of John chapter 21 again, when Peter um, sins, when Peter's being restored by Jesus, Peter denies Christ three times before his death, 
After the resurrection, Jesus comes to Peter and asks him a point of question three times. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And I put myself in Peter's situation sometimes. And I'll close my eyes like I'm doing now, and I'll ask, and I'll listen to Jesus. And he says, Martin, do you love me? And immediate answer is, because Jesus is saying it, yes, Jesus, I love you. <laughs> it's quick, obvious, right? Because Jesus says, I have to. He asked me, what? And so feed my sheep. Second time, Martin, son of Changi, which is my dad, do you love me? And I'll start thinking, oh, wait, one second. Um, I see that in my own heart. I'm not, I'm not good, right? I've done some bad things in my life, and there's this guilt and the shame, and okay, I need Jesus. I need your love. Therefore, because of this weight and baggage, Jesus, I love you, right? Tend to my sheep. And the third time, Jesus asked me again, Martin, do you love me? And then I look at, um, I look at my sin, my shame, all the, even the seemingly good things that I've done, and I realize it's, it's, there's nothing there, right? I mean, I, I have nothing. I mean, do I really love Jesus? Because if I did, I would keep his commandments. I will do this, I will do that, do that. But I haven't really done anything. And I'm left empty. But as I see Jesus there, and I see that he's engaging me and sitting with me, I see that he loves me, right? And I might not love him, but Jesus loves me. And because he loves me, I love him. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Follow me. Right? And, I mean, what is this? Like, what is this kind of love? Like, who is this Jesus that he does this to us? Right? It's in, how is it that in our weakest and most vulnerable moments, Jesus gives us the highest honor. He loves us and wants us to live like him. Right? To be able to serve like he did, to be able to follow him, to lay down our lives for a sake for, for each other and love each other as he did, that's amazing. And I'm so thankful that I get to experience the love and grace of God in this kind of way. Right? I get to experience God's love in a community like this, um, who's all been freed from shame together. We have been washed clean by the blood of, God, of Christ. We are clothed in his honor with his goodness. We despise the shame together, right? I'm thankful that God has done this. I'm thankful for who he is. I'm, I'm still a work in progress. We're all a work in progress. But it's great to know that I'm not bound or defined by my own shame. That being with Jesus, the life and resurrection, is an incredible honor. And being with him is more than enough. Thank you. Thank you.